When it comes to sex, let's be honest. We all have questions. Am I doing it right? Is it supposed to feel this way? Why don't I care about sex? And the big one, what is normal sex? Trust me, these are legit questions. So I found Dr. Jenny Schuyler, sex therapist extraordinaire, to answer the questions we always wanted to ask, but didn't. And she has some questions too, good ones. I'm Kim Kaplan, and this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast. So if your if your world or or your your happiness depends on you having sex with a woman, you've got a problem with women. Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying that with all the respect that I have for women. Like we can't put women on pedestals because if we do, then their emotions or the way they may be feeling about something all of a sudden now regulates how we feel and the way that we operate. And that's that's a cycle. It's just it, like you said, it's a big turnoff. If I were to be you know, emotionally immature and pout or complain, or even try to manipulate you or coerce you into having sex with me, that's that, that's not going to give either one of us what we want. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Dr. Jenny. Good morning, Kim. Good to see you again. It's it's As definitely always. early for me. I'm still on my first cup of coffee. But I am too. This is okay. I like to fast <laughs> to a certain point in my day and then start <laughs> Okay, good, good. Um, So we, I I, I mentioned this uh, the other day when we were um, talking to, and I can't even remember now, but, um, and I probably mentioned this more than once, but I'm totally loving um, our season this season because um, I'm just learning so many new things. And I love how you've been bringing these other people into our little little conversation because it's well it's given me something different to think about um and also i feel like we're really being a lot more inclusive when it comes to men i think most of our conversations last season were really women around Mm -hmm. women and you know and get left out well except for my husband who just got talked about (laughs) And so I think that um, I'm really looking forward to today's podcast because you're bringing on somebody that um, I'm just getting to understand a little bit more about what he does. Can you give us a little bit of a a teaser on on who we're going to be talking to today and why this is such an important topic? Um. We are talking to someone who I am so excited um, is on the show. Ryan Mickler has his own podcast called The Order of Man. And Ryan really helps men become the best men they can be. So Ryan is a father of four. Um, He's an Iraq combat veteran. And as I mentioned, the founder of The Order of Man, which is his website and his podcast. His podcast, Order of Man, has been downloaded, oh my goodness, 45 million times. And he is a so... That's mm-hmm. a lot of downloads. Yes. Um, I'll say this about Ryan. When I do work as a sex therapist, I have a lot of men, um, particularly nice guys, that struggle to step up into their most powerful selves as a protector, as a provider, as a man, and understanding what that really means in terms of how they want to show up in the world. And so what I'm excited about in terms of having Ryan on this podcast is I've sent a lot of my own clients over the years, my husband as well, to his podcast. So it's exciting oh, wow. to have you, Ryan. Very cool. Bring him on. Good morning, Ryan. Hello. 
Hi, good to see both of you. So that's a lot of zeros. Did I read that's the a lot zeros, of zeros wrong? I might have read zeros wrong. I don't read zeros very well. <laughs> uh, it looks like I, I'm looking at it and I look, it looks like I put the comma in. No, it looks like I'm missing uh, a zero on the million. Um, <laughs> yes. So I have to update that. <laughs> Okay. And I put the comma in the wrong place. But yeah, no, our podcast has been downloaded over 45 million times now. Wow. And we have a social media presence of over 1 million men. So you That's said it right, crazy. although it's not I was reading it right strangely. in my bio. Like, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> You're welcome. It's just a typo. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, um, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your service. That's pretty uh, amazing. Um uh, stuff there um, th- that you've done and uh, secondly um, when Jenny was reading your your intro um, something just came to mind and and I'm and I'm hoping that maybe we, and I know Jenny's got a lot of questions and I don't mean to take over here Jenny but something came to mind when you're you're talking to men about being their best selves and the provider and um, you know the protector and all that where does that I am a woman thing come in on the other side with a spouse who may not who wants that equal presence like I I'm I'm one of those women. It's like, yeah, I love for my husband to be the provide. Well, he's not necessarily the sole provider, but the protector, that guy, that man who steps up. But on the other side of the coin, I'm also that woman who says, I can do this by myself. I don't need you <laughs> to be doing this for me. You know what I mean? It, there's like this dichotomy, I think, that that where is that balance? I, I think that's the, one of the questions I would love to get answered when it comes to a relationship. Well, look, I'm, I'm surrounded by women who are fully capable of doing a lot of what we're talking about, but just because you want to, or you think you should, doesn't mean that it's not complimentary or nice to have somebody in a partner who's willing and able to fulfill those roles as well. So I, I think there is a misconception and, and I understand. I think this, this messaging is, is, has permeated much of society as far as, um, maybe the the outdated notion that women aren't capable of those things, but every woman that I'm around that I know of is fully capable of stepping into those roles, but uh, doesn't really, I think at her core have a desire to do that. If there's a man who's in the picture, who's willing to step up in that way, you know, there's a lot of things that I could do that women are naturally uh, more suited to do. And I'm speaking in very broad generalities here. Um, you know, I can be nurturing, I can be empathetic, I can see things in, in, a, in a lighter, more delicate, supportive way, but that doesn't mean that I should abdicate my role as uh, a protector or with regards to provision. You said provision. It's not just financial provision. It's discipline. It's guidance. It's structure. It's, it's, it's vision. Uh, and then the last is, is leadership, of course, and that's your ability to help your kids or your family or your colleagues, coworkers get to a place they couldn't have gone on their own. Well, and I really think that's an attractive quality in a man too, for a woman. Well, and I, what I, what I see happening is again, I'm speaking in generalities. So I know there's exceptions to this and you might be an exception where you have more of maybe even a masculine energy about the way that you approach your work. I don't know. We don't know each other, but that is something I've seen. And I don't think that's wrong. I think if it works for your relationship, then that's great. What I do see have happen a lot is that a man won't step up in a masculine way and therefore the woman he's partnered with is forced almost out of obligation Mm. to not only fulfill the feminine role, 
but also now fill the masculine role. And that becomes a problem filled with resentment and, and it uh, is a recipe for disaster. That makes a lot of sense. And how, Ryan, just to continue that thread, tell me a little bit more about how you have seen your men. Well, I imagine your men come to you to support themselves into becoming the best version of themselves. Um, yeah. But when it comes to the bedroom, if they don't step up into that role, what then happens? Well, I think there's a lot of resentment. I mean, if we're talking specifically about the bedroom and sex and intimacy, um, I think what probably happens is there's resentment on both the woman and the man's role or, or, or part. Uh, if, if, yeah. if a man isn't willing to assert himself, and I'm not saying inappropriately, so I need to make sure I put that out Sure, there. sure, sure. But if right. he's not willing to I miss you, I want to have sex is different than... Yeah, right. <laughs> or even coming home and just... And again, I'm, I'm a little sensitive on the language, the way I say it, but I think everybody can exercise some discernment here is go in and, you know, take your woman the way you want to do that. Right. Again, appropriately. Um, but what ends up happening is if a man is unwilling to assert himself in that way because he's scared or, and that's what it is. It's mostly fear, uh, fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think that's probably the root of it is fear of yeah. rejection. What if I do this and she's not into this? Or what if I advance and she doesn't want to, and then we take it personally. But if a man doesn't do that, eventually I think the sex life dwindles and he builds up resentment. And if the woman is always the one who has to initiate, I think that builds up resentment on her part because she would love to have a man who not only leads the family well, but also leads well in the bedroom too. Uh, And I think she probably would begin to imagine to some degree, what if it was, what if there was an opportunity for me to be with a man who was willing to assert himself outside of the home and inside of the home? Yeah. So many of these women um, basically share a fantasy of like that carnal component. The man comes home and he takes her. Obviously not in a um, lack of consent kind of way, but in that sort of right. strong carnal, I'm showing up. I want you. You know, and they and and in the fantasy, they're thrown against the wall or thrown against the bed. And it's definitely like that more leadership carnal energy um, that they, you know, if they are with a nice guy struggles to embody. Well, I think what happens, I mean, even just look at just the physical nature of intimacy. The man is designed to give and the woman is designed to receive. And that's that is the natural order of things. So it should be like that, both physically and mentally and emotionally. And what's beautiful about a woman receiving, sometimes I hear this, and I think this is particularly true of women who have taken feminism to an unhealthy extreme, is that somehow receiving something is inferior, but that's not the full side of the equation. It's not that a woman simply receives, is that she receives and then makes it better. <laughs> she, whatever she receives from a man, she takes it and makes it better. So if it's taking... Uh, making a baby in her womb or turning a, a house into a home or turning a union into a loving, intimate connection, a woman receives it, improves it, and then it enhances everybody's lives. Mm. I think that answers your question, Kim. Like, what's my role? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's like I said, there's that kind of that fine line of balance i'm not saying that i'm you know a super feminine feminist or anything like that 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 wasn't what i was saying but i do know women in particular single women 
that have a hard time getting into a relationship where there's that they're either too needy or they're not masculine enough or they're too masculine and there's uh, they're a little bit intimidated by her power you know and her confidence and her independence and so I feel like you know when I hear the the words about um you know taking back your I, I can't remember exactly what it was that you said there was something that made me think about that but but I also believe that there's a you know, I'm going to use my my relationship as an example. When you talked about the resentment and the re- and the rejection that men m- might feel if they are when they're afraid to assert themselves, especially in an intimate way, um, I have those issues in my relationship because I I will reject it if it's just not the right time or if you know there's something else going on. And so that does stop him from asserting himself and taking kind of, you know, taking me um, the way I think it would be great to 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 be able to, you know, start that that intimacy, intimacy or sexual um, relationship at that point. And he or no gives his carnal energy pause. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, you know, I love what you said about um you know, giving more uh, as a woman when allowing or not even allowing, but when a man does take that initiative to be able to bring it, bring more power into the couple. You know, it's uh, I think that's that at least that's what I got from what you said. You know, um, if you um, go ahead, one thing I was going to share is when you're talking about um you know, maybe a man, cause, cause men will do that. If, if I were to, you know, advance and, and be turned down, then men have a tendency of pouting cause they're not getting, yeah, not exactly. getting what they want. Right. Yeah. And that's a turn off to women as well. Um, I think there's, I think there's a level of emotional maturity that we need to exhibit in that. Yeah. Maybe she's not always in the mood like you are. And so what, you know, maybe, uh, there, there could be a lot of different reasons, right? And we all know what they are as to why a woman may not be interested. And, and men too. Sometimes men aren't interested in sex for various reasons. But also I think we need to realize that the intimacy for women starts outside of the bedroom. Right. Men can be very transactional. I could come home and like we could have dinner and I could get home from work and I'm like, let's go have sex. And it, it feels good and it's a way to connect and it can be very transactional. And, and I think generally women, you know, there are some women, but women generally are not like that. But if you sit down over dinner and you ask about her day and you listen to her and you engage with her that way, you ladies can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's going to be more of a turn on, which would potentially lead us to intimacy in the bedroom more effectively than me just trying to be transactional about it. Oh, for sure. hundred oh, percent. 100%. So how do you how do you coach men who may be feeling um, like going into that pout mode, which um, which I just, ugh, you know, then I just start feeling guilty. <laughs> oh, God, here we go again. You know, um, not that it happens all the time in my relationship. I'm sure it happens in every relationship. But how, you know, how do you help? men to actually continue to feel confident in their assertion even when they're being rejected by their spouse or their partner or significant other that's typically a symptom of putting 
your woman on a pedestal she doesn't belong and making her the center of your universe. So if your if your world or or your your happiness depends on you having sex with a woman, you've got a problem with women. Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying that with all the respect that I have for women. Like we can't put women on pedestals because if we do, then their emotions or the way they may be feeling about something all of a sudden now regulates how we feel and the way that we operate and that's that's a cycle. It's just it, like you said, it's a big turnoff. If I were to be, you know, emotionally immature and pout or complain, or even try to manipulate you or coerce you into having sex with me, that's, that, that's not going to give either one of us what we want. Uh, you know, so go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. You know what I'm hearing that the pedestal piece. I mean, I might reframe that. I'm just thinking of my, my husband too. And when he gets a no, and I'm definitely not on a pedestal, but I think what I hear in that is your self-worth as a man is not attached to your woman's mood <laughs> or your woman's. Or anybody's mood. Mm. Anybody's mood, for sure. Exactly. But certainly you know, if, we're more sensitive we see to our that, woman's mood. De- well, definitely, because we want to connect, right? And the best right. way for us to connect is through physical intimacy, which which is different between the sexes, again, generally. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's for anything. If, if I get rejected at work, maybe I have a new client proposal and I share this proposal with a client and they say, no, that, that shouldn't change my attitude. I mean, of course it's disappointing. Of course you wanted that sale, but it, it, it shouldn't dictate how you operate. And if it does, then you're not emotionally mature enough. And so to answer your question, Kim, about how do you, how do you address that with men is you help them find meaning and purpose in life that is intrinsically valuable, not externally motivated. So for example, if I derive my sense of worth from the kind of car I drive, that's a problem because maybe I don't have that car. Maybe I can't afford that car. Maybe I do have that car, but I crashed it. And so I can no longer drive it. And then all of a sudden it it impacts every aspect of my life. Uh, If your sense of worth is derived from how, how your wife is feeling on a particular day or how she responds to you, well, that changes minute to minute, hour by hour. And so you're telling me that I'm supposed to dictate the way that I feel about myself based on the whims of people and personal interactions and external factors outside of my control. That's a problem. So what we tend to focus on is what is fulfilling and rewarding to you and what kind of man do you want to be that is not controlled by any external factor. So these are values, right? Mm -hmm. Telling the truth, being honest, having integrity, being disciplined, working hard, being committed, being faithful, being loyal. None of that is dependent on how you show up or how you respond to me. But if I do those things, I'm going to have a sense of worth that if you were to say to me, you know, hon, I'm not in the mood tonight. Cool. That's okay. We'll try again tomorrow. And it doesn't bother me or impact me. And by the way, again, correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that I don't need it from you all the time probably wants you to want it more from me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So uh, I, I'm curious as to how you got here, you know, what led you to, uh, 45 million downloads on your podcast or helping (laughs) all of these men over the course of how many years? I mean, when did you start doing this? A little over eight years ago, March of 2015 is when I started the podcast. 
And and what led you down this path? I mean, so I'm I'm a, you know we ask people all the time, you know, how did you get here? And there's always been an obvious reason. Uh, maybe it was. I, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I had another podcast. I was doing financial planning uh, before I did this, and I had another podcast specifically for the financial planning piece. And I and I love the medium of podcasting. I loved having these types of conversations and discussing things and having disagreements civilly and working through them and trying to figure out what makes people tick. But I, I really didn't want to, at that point, continue to have the financial planning conversation. So uh, I decided to pivot. And really, my goal was, was very selfish. It was an opportunity for me to talk with men that I was inspired and motivated by. Uh, and I would invite them on the podcast and ask questions that I wanted to know for myself as a business owner, as a husband, as a father. And, uh, I decided if I'm going to do that, well, I can publish it the way I have with my other podcast. And I, I, I knew pretty quickly we were onto something because I think the, if I remember correctly, the first podcast that we did for Order of Man had more downloads for that podcast than the entire group of podcasts I had done for the financial planning. Wow. Stuff. And yes. I realized quickly we were onto something and, and I did it again, I did it selfishly. I, I would work for two hours in the morning. I'd work for two hours at night on, on order man, uh, while I was still doing full-time financial planning. And my wife at the time, she said, you know, um, you really need to consider scaling back or figuring out a way to make money doing this because it's taking up more and more of your time. And she was absolutely right. And I wasn't going to scale back. I was really into it at that point. So we started a course, uh, about seven or eight months into order of man. And it was a 12-week course designed to help men with, if I remember correctly, it was five or six principles that we could focus on uh, once every two weeks, each one every two weeks. So we did that for about 12 weeks and the men loved it. And by the time we got to week six, seven, eight, they were asking, hey, when this is done, what are we doing next? I'm like, I don't know. I, didn't, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> so we made a plan. And you know, here we are eight years later with, like you said, 45 million downloads and you know, millions of men listening and tuning in. Uh, we run events. We've got a, an exclusive online brotherhood with 1,400 men as part of that. So wow. it's pretty incredible. It's just a testament to, it's a testament to the fact that men are hurting and men are, are struggling alone and they want to be banded with other men. Even if they talk a game like they don't, they actually do. And they want accountability and camaraderie and brotherhood. And there's just not a whole lot of other places to get it, unfortunately. You, you've you created a movement. Yeah. Ryan, yeah, do, you, do you have different ages of men and do you see different generations um, showing up differently in the world or struggling with different things, um, maybe especially as it pertains to intimacy and sex? Um, you know, most of the men that, that listen to what we're doing and tune into what we have going on are between the ages of 25 to 45. They're, they're, they're driven, they're motivated, they're ambitious, but they're somewhat dissatisfied with their life. Maybe it's a relationship issue, uh, or a business and career issue, financial issues, or even health issues. So they come, come to us because typically that's how they find us. They're, they're dealing with some sort of issue. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the sex issue, I don't know that I hear that a lot, but I do hear a lot. I mean, this is probably the number one thing that I hear is separation, divorce, mm. lack of connection with a spouse, lack of, sometimes I do hear that lack of intimacy for a period of time and uh, just not really knowing how to connect on an intimate, emotional or physical level with their significant other. 
I was going to ask you what is the what is the most common issue that the men who come to you have, and I can see that as being a very commonality with most men is understanding what intimacy actually is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, full disclosure, I, I went through, I, I finalized a divorce uh, four months ago, you know, mm. so this is something that I've dealt with personally. And, you know, I did a lot of things wrong in, in that relationship, especially towards the later years. And I did a lot of things right uh, leading up to that. Um, but I've also learned a lot too um, and realized, I, I think here's what happens. And I'm just looking at it through my own lens. And of course, the, the men that share the same sentiment is we tend to get focused heavily on the provision aspect of life because we think that's where I thrive. That's what I'm supposed to do as a man. And we are absolutely, we are. And so for me, it was very easy to get focused on work. It was very easy for me to pour into that. It was very tangible, very measurable. Um, I could look at, you know, our clients or I could look at revenue and I could say, I'm doing better than I was doing yesterday. And it's easy for me to measure and quantify uh, but that came at the expense of of the relationship and the connection that I had with my ex-wife, unfortunately, to the point where we're no longer married. So I, I'd, I'd never wanted to come across as I'm an expert on this. I'm, I'm learning these things too. I'm figuring these things out. And um, I've figured some things out over the past year or so that, that I think will put me in a different position when that next woman comes into my life. Well, Ryan, and I, thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, and, I was going to say the same thing. I'm I'm curious with um, your life, you know, especially with, you know, if you felt like she was missing something emotionally or sexually, you know, what I find for some men who go a little too far into that provision role, as you were mentioning, is they lose, they lose step with their ability as lover, not ability, but like that, that lover essence um, and now I'm kind of bringing in a really old school book, the, the King, the Warrior, Magician and Lover. Oh, yeah. Magician and Lover. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a beautiful book in terms of like the archetypes of, of manhood. But I think a lot of men who are in that like king or warrior or even magician role sometimes struggle to figure out the lover role. And sometimes there's men who are just like in that lover role. And, and these men might struggle with sex addiction or porn addiction. And they don't know how to do the other one, you know, the other roles mm. as well. Um, yeah. But I think the integration of all four of those archetypes is is super important and healthy. And, and I, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, when men go a little too far into that provision work component, is that what's lost in terms of the connection with the spouse, the lover connection? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I can speak for myself on that. I tend to operate more fully in the king and warrior archetype personally. So it's easy for me to go up the, out there and, you know, put this this proverbial armor on and, and um, think that I have to tackle the world or everything's a battle and everything's a grind. And, you know, I, I believe that to some degree. I've, I've expanded my thinking on that a little bit in, in light of my divorce, which I didn't want to have happen. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh I think for me, it's, 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 I'm always going to have to be aware of being empathetic. That's just not something that comes real natural for me. And so I can see something that I have a desire to have and I can chase and pursue and, and tackle and go after that really like to the extreme. And what ends up happening again, personally, is I end up leaving a wake of collateral damage in my path. 
not because I don't care about people, not because I didn't care about her, not because I didn't care about her marriage or anything like that, but because I get so hyper fixated on this thing that everything else becomes either an obstacle or a distraction. And of course you Mm -hmm. alienate people when you do that. And unfortunately, most of us in the same type of archetype realize that little too, little too late. Yeah. Do you think that's a common characteristic that non-empathy for men? I, I find that a lot of men that I know are missing that empathetic part of themselves is that a pretty yeah. common thing? Why do you think that is? I think is? so. That's a learned That's skill, I, by the way. I don't think it? empathy is... Yeah. I mean, think about it. If we, if you wheel back time and we live in caves or whatnot, right? Men are supposed to go out and hunt and women are supposed to take care of the children and gather. So, you know, it, it makes sense that the tactical drive that you're talking about, Ryan, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the animal and I'm going to, you know, protect and provide for the tribe. Like if we're just going way back, um, is built into our DNA in some, in some level. And then for women, it's built into our DNA to be more nurturing because we're literally gestating a baby for right, 10 okay. months and then having to nurse said baby, right. And all the oxytocin that flows when you're breastfeeding. I mean, it's just built. I think if you just look at humans on a very evolutionary level, that's where we sort of get pigeonholed into. So, you know, add in social construction and where we are today, I think empathy is key, but I also think it's a learned skill. And hmm. and so, yeah. and also if it's a learned skill, where are we learning this? In school? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's right. I, I think it's a bit of nature and it's a bit of nurture. Uh, you know, I, I've tend to look at empathy a little differently. Um, and I, this might sound foreign, but it's, served me is that I'm hesitant to say it this way because it's going to sound cold, but even if us as men can learn to use empathy as, and here's where it gets cold as a strategy or tactic to influence and lead, I think we'd be more inclined to be aware of it. So for example, when a woman comes to a man with a problem throughout her day, it's man's natural desire and tendency to want to fix it. Yep. Right. And, and we all know how horribly that goes every time. Yeah. It just doesn't work. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so we believe like, well, if I'm not fixing it, then I'm not leading. I'm not serving. I'm not helping. So ladies, our motive in attempting to help you fix your problems is benevolent. We actually care about you and we might say it poorly. We might deliver it in a, in a way that doesn't land for you. But I just want you to know that the reason men try to fix your problems is because they love and care about you. So that's really important. That's the message to the ladies. The message is to the men is that maybe just listening and being more empathetic and allowing her to share what she needs to share without a desire to fix it other than the listening, maybe that's how you are fixing it. Maybe you're yeah. actually being a fixer by just listening Listen. to her and let her get all of it out and say what she needs to say and be that emotion. Uh, I was going to say emotionless, but that's not true. Uh, that strong, that rock that she can toss all of her thoughts and ideas against without it impacting you negatively or positively. Just listen. And that's how we can fix. And that's why I say, and I agree with you about empathy as being a learned skill because that's being empathetic. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, she, she had a bad day. She needs to tell me about this relationship problem she has with one of her girlfriends or this thing that happened at work. And uh, she doesn't need me to fix it. So I'm not going to attempt to fix it. I'm going to be imp- empathetic in the way that I listen to her. And then we attach that to our desire to serve is that listening is serving. And that has seemed to help me. 
Yeah, just just a oh, honey, I'm I'm so sorry you're having such a bad day. Here, let me get you a glass of wine. You know, I mean that's that's maybe I don't even I don't even know if that's necessary. You know, one one phrase that I've used is that's true. Yeah, yeah. I think so. If if one of you came to me, I would be okay with that. I'm just saying, I would be okay with that. Sure, (laughs) sure. And I think occasionally that's fine. You know, but if you're if you're attempting to make her feel better. I think it's invalidating what she's experiencing. Mm. So if, if you were to mm. say, you know, like, on I had a bad day, it's like, oh, well, you know, you're, you'll be okay. It's, it's not that bad. It'll get better. Like that's invalidating. What totally she's invalidating. Feeling. Yeah. So, so instead so what saying, is the response? I yeah. would say, oh, it's, it's easy. It's like, yeah, that I can see why you had a bad day. That must be really hard for you. Oh, there's a good one. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That's it. So she and, says, Ryan, I had this bad day at work and this lady was, you know, this client was rude. I'm like, oh man. I'd feel the same way. Yeah, that's that's bad. How are you feeling about it? That's it. Like, it's amazing. I don't need to do anything else. I just need to repeat exactly what you told me. Do you teach, what I'll tell men to motivate them with empathy too is it's foreplay. Yeah, um, yeah. Or I'll say like, you know, if you get stuck in that problem fixing mode, like pull out of your pockets, like pocket one, pocket two. Do you want me to listen or do you want me to give you solutions? Um, and oftentimes, you know, they want to listen. Do you coach then your men in learning that exactly what you just demonstrated around empathy? Like, Hey, that must be really hard. Yeah, that must be really hard. I like that is, is, are you looking for me to, to help you with this? Or are you just trying to, trying to share with me and connect? I'm just right. trying to share. Perfect. Like now it's clear. Like I don't have, there's no guess you know Right. Exactly. Right. And, and, and you know what she's after, which I, I think is a big problem between men and women, you know, and, and we don't share, we don't talk about these things or if it might even pose a little bit of a risk, it's like, "Mm, let's not talk about that. No, let's talk about it and get on the same page. Like we're not going to blow up, make a commitment to doing that and, and fighting or disagreeing or even just communicating with each other fairly. Um, that, that's certainly one. I I think the best thing to do when it comes to, uh, solving people's problems is just don't unless they explicitly ask you to solve their problem. So your wife might say, you know, what, what should I do? Okay, now she's explicitly asking for your feedback. And even then, men tread carefully. And what I would say to that is, well, I don't know what you should do, but if I was in that situation, here's what I would do. Yeah. And then that allows her to talk a little bit more about what she she needs to solve. It's not my problem. Even if I'm your husband, that's your problem. I just need to help guide you to creating the solutions to your own problems. Ryan, I know we're almost done, and so I just want to thank you for coming on. In terms of having a last question here, um, what is something that no one asks you, but you really wish they would? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'm not trying to do a cop-out. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty curious about people. Um, and I think that curiosity has gone a long way in, in helping us create a, a, a good podcast that people can consume and, and enjoy. Um, thing I will say that I like is when people disagree with me and then they can make a compelling argument about why that's the case. So a lot of the times people will ask questions that uh, are complimentary or softball questions to tee me up for you know a really easy base hit. I'm like, no, let's talk about hard things. Let's Let's talk about mm-hmm. things I haven't talked about before. If you don't agree with what I say, ask me a question about that and let's have a conversation about those things. Mm-hmm. I think that is a lost art and something mm-hmm. most of us could probably 
stand to do a little bit more of in our lives. What do you think yeah. is the one thing that men and women, if if that applies, um, should know about? What is what is like your your best advice? Advice. Um, for, for specifically for for sex and intimacy, or just in no, general? just in general. Ooh, maybe both. My best advice. These are <laughs> funny. These are interesting, funny questions. Um, because it's not, it's never one thing, right? But I I think I would go back, Jenny, to what you said earlier. We didn't really talk about it, but in before I came on, you you said nice guy, and I I think that's a big big problem for men. Um, I think they're they, I think they're trying to mask what they want under the cloak of niceness. And it's yeah. just not necessary. It won't help you get what you want. It'll piss people off and it'll create a, uh, a gap or a barrier between you and the people who are closest to you. So what I would say to men for advice is be more assertive, assert yourself, tell people what you want, tell people what you're after, work towards those things, tell them what you like, tell them what you don't like. If you have boundaries, communicate those boundaries. Hey, I, I won't be talked to that way. Like we can talk about these things, but you're not going to talk to me like that. And if you do, then we're not going to have this conversation. Nice guys would have a hard time saying that. And so they'll be passive aggressive. They'll make little snide comments under their breath because they you know, want to be nice and keep the peace. You don't need to keep the peace. You need to be respectful and courteous to each other, but be honest, be open and allow her to do the same thing. And you can do this without being an asshole. I think that's their biggest fear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is important. You yeah. I think being direct and assertive. And here's one thing I tell guys. Yeah, it's hard though for nice guys because they don't know what it means to be an asshole and what it means to be assertive. They don't they don't understand yeah, it. That line doesn't so, exist. Right. So what I tell those guys is I say, look, if you're a if you're a recovering nice guy and you know you are, then you actually need to tiptoe into asshole territory every once in a while. Because yeah. you don't know what the line is. You don't know when you're being an asshole. The only way for you to figure it out is to be that way to a degree and then get the feedback from other people about how you're responding but you have to be willing to tiptoe over that line a little bit. Wow. Yeah. And I imagine in the Iron Council, you can practice with each other so you don't practice on first dates or at home. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good place. But the, like even first dates, you know, um, uh, and, I, and I've been on several dates, you know, since my divorce. And it's funny because I hear a lot of guys who struggle. They're like, oh, dating is so hard. I'm like, really? Like, again, that's the pressure to perform. Stop that. Knock that off. Just go and be curious. Just yeah. go and ask questions. Just go with the intent to have fun. Don't don't have some sort of agenda, whether it's to have sex or to create this, you know, long lasting marriage type relationship with this woman you don't even know. Like just go with no expectations other than we're gonna have a good time together and I'm gonna learn about her and that's it. And it doesn't really seem that's all great that advice. I think that's great human advice. Be curious. Yeah. Yeah, on any right. level. And and keep the agendas to a minimum, right? Yeah. Nobody likes agendas. Well, this was well, a really... it comes across awkward and clunky and it's not enjoyable. Right, right. Because you're forcing it. Um, I This was a great conversation. I'm so glad that uh, we got to know you, Ryan. And um, Yeah, I'm glad too. Where can we find your podcast? Where can my husband find your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> where can my husband it's, find uh, it? 
<laughs> it's uh, Order of Man is the podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, you can listen okay. to Order of Man podcast. And then orderofman.com is our, our headquarters. So you can find everything we're doing over there. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate um, everything that you've uh, provided today. And um, again, you know, I'm always learning something new. And uh, any any last questions, Jenny? Are we done? Are we done with Ryan? Oh, I could ask tons more questions. I know, right? I, I want to be respectful of his time, too. So, For sure. If you have questions, I'm, I'm available. If you want to do a round two at some point, I'm available to do that as well. Awesome. Okay. Well, That'd we hope fun. you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. Nice I, guy I, had, round I had a good two. conversation. Yeah, nice yeah, guy round two. That would be good. Maybe a bonus episode. Yeah, I like that. And thank yeah, you for listening uh, to this episode of the Modern Pleasure Podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you.